Our scripture reading this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 1, verses 2 through 20. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know, does not know, my people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, they have forsaken the Lord, they have despised the Holy One of Israel, they are utterly estranged. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick, the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Your country lies desolate, your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate as overthrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion is left, like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling in my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations, I cannot endure the iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your stains are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Hebrews says that your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. And Lord, I ask that you would use your word in each of us, that you would confront us with what's true, give us hope in your precious promises. May we respond in faith and obedience as we hear what Jesus said. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in Luke chapter 11, and we have heard Jesus talk a lot about blessedness. Blessing in scripture describes a state of happiness. It's the kind of attitude that you feel at a wedding or at a birthday party or when a baby is born. 
Blessedness in Scripture describes enjoying God's favor and all of His gifts. Rich food, health. Blessing describes someone who is strong in adversity, joyful in loss, hopeful in the future. And for the blessed person, the future is full of joy that will never end. Here in this life, Jesus said, many are the tribulations of the righteous. And that's to be expected. But our hope is in a future that will have uninterrupted, eternal joy. And Jesus has described this. Most recently, he said, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. He said that in verse 28 of this chapter. But today, at the end of chapter 11, Jesus turns and addresses a group of people who are not blessed. And many people would like to act as if Jesus would never say anything harsh or difficult. But what I want to express to you this morning is that sometimes a harsh warning can be an expression of deep love. And so while I'm going to say some things from the scripture because Jesus says them, I want you to know that Jesus said them from a heart of love and he would say them to you from a heart of love. And just to prove the reality that sometimes love motivates a stern warning, I'd like to ask you to entertain a hypothetical scenario with me for just a moment. This is Father's Day, so I want to speak especially to you dads, but also to you moms. Sometimes a stern warning comes from a mom as well, but, but think for a moment. If you have a daughter and she starts dating a young man, And the longer she spends time with him, the the more it seems like she's hiding things from you. And it occurs to you one day that she now, she only wears long sleeves. Then one day you see a bruise on her arm and you start to realize that she's in a relationship that is physically abusive. Imagine how that would break your heart. And then ask yourself this question. Would you shrug your shoulders and say, well, You can't get in the way of love. It's real love. What can you do? No. You would, at all costs, try to break this relationship. You would warn her that it will only get worse. You may paint a picture of her future that is terrifying and dark and full of pain in hopes that she will break it off before that comes. You may say something strong, something bold, but you say it because you love her and you want to save her from that pain. And I believe that when we hear God give a warning, He is doing it because He is love. So you see, the scriptural opposite of blessing is a word called woe. Woe. And it's a strong word. Jesus, as a prophet, he is prophet, he is priest, he is king, 
As a prophet, he stands in a long line of tradition of God's prophets warning the people that spans from Genesis clear to Revelation. If you know the Bible, you might think of Genesis chapter 6. You might think of the story of Noah and the flood. Do you remember it says that the whole world was given over to evil and that God was sorry that he had made man? But Noah found favor in the eyes of God. And the scripture says that Noah built an ark so that he and his family would be saved. And as he built the ark, he preached, warning people that the judgment of God was coming, that that there was a woe. The whole world was going to be destroyed by water. People were going to die. And Noah preached a warning, a disaster that was coming and gave people an opportunity to be saved. Scripture says that only Noah and his immediate family were saved. The disaster came, and it was horrible. But it came because God is just. God in his mercy gave a warning, begging people to repent, but they would not. Scripture ends with the book of Revelation. So I talked for a second about the beginning of the world. Revelation, God not only warns in a series of woes, but he pours out his wrath on people who are hardened in rebellion, who will not repent. Revelation has passages that will be very distressing to you if you have never read them. From the beginning of the Bible to the end, God is very serious about sin. And the word woe is used again and again to warn people. It is a loaded word, especially if you know the scriptures. In English, if you do a search in your English Bible, the word appears 96 times. 14 of those 96, over 10%, 14 of 96 times, the word comes from the mouth of Jesus. It is a strong and a dire word. It it is used to proclaim destruction and disaster. It is a word that is full of violence and death because sin always brings death. And so if you are mired in sin, it is a word that warns you of your end. The people that Jesus was talking to would have known how it was used. They would have known the Old Testament. And I'm going to read you some names, and some of you will know who these people are, some of you will not have heard, but the people that Jesus was talking to, they were experts in the Bible. They made it their life study. And so they would remember prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Hosea and Amos and Micah and Nahum and Habakkuk and Zephaniah who said, Woe, woe, woe. The Bible is full of God's warnings to people that their sin will bring disaster. And before we go to the text of Luke where Jesus pronounces these types of warnings, I want to give you two from the Old Testament because when Jesus said to the people that he was speaking to, Woe! Are you Pharisees? Woe, are you scribes? They would recognize exactly the type of warning that he was giving them. They would understand that he was saying the same things to them that they read about in their Bibles, and they would have been deeply insulted because it is a word that carries terrible weight with it. And I want you to feel that weight when I read the text of Scripture in Luke in just a moment. So I'm going to give you two examples of prophets in the Old Testament 
that under the command of God pronounced this type of judgment. One is from a prophet named Amos. Amos says in Amos chapter 5, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Now I'm going to stop right there for just a second. Amos is speaking to people that considered themselves religious. We would say there were people that went to church. They were people who loved God. And for them, they were looking forward to a day of the Lord. That's a loaded phrase. It's a day when God comes in power. And they were saying they could not wait until the day of the Lord came. Because for them, they were looking back towards Egypt, and they would have remembered how God rescued them as slaves, how God showed up as a deliverer, how God displayed awesome power on behalf of his people and saved them. And they thought that's what would happen in the day of the Lord. But Amos said that they were not right with God. So instead of a deliverer, when the day of the Lord came, they would find disaster. So he said, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. You think God is on your side, but he's not. He said, that day would be like running from a lion and meeting a bear. So imagine for just a second, you see a lion, you're terrified, you're screaming, you're running for your life because you know right behind you is death. And you run into the clutches of a bear that tears you limb from limb and destroys you. It's no hope, it's no better. You've run from something that terrified you and you have died in the claws of a bear. That's the type of warning that Amos is issuing you. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. He said, it's like leaning on your house and being bitten by a snake. You go to your house to rest. You go to your house for security. You go to your house feeling like you can lock the door and be safe, and instead, you put your hand down and you're bitten by a snake and you die. That's what Amos means when he says, woe to you. It is destruction. It is death. It is violence. He warns, he says, those who make music and anoint themselves, this is in Amos chapter 6, with fine oil. You know, they go to Bed Bath & Beyond, buy the best smelling stuff. They enjoy listening to great music, but are not distressed. So picture yourself, you know, you're, you're in comfort. Those who make music and anoint themselves with fine oil, but are not distressed when they hear what God says. In other words, they hear the prophet saying, whoa, and they think, man, that guy's crazy. Then they just go on and live life as if God hasn't spoken at all. Amos says, woe to you who live in that kind of comfort. You will die. That's a biblical woe. And then in Hosea, God says something that part of me even doesn't want to read. In Hosea chapter 9, God says to his own people, these are the people he saved, these are the people he loves, he says there will be no birth, no pregnancy, no conception. And even if they have children, I will bereave them. That's what God says as he warns his people in sin. Think for a second of how terrible it is to be barren. If you know someone who wants kids who's not able to have kids, think of how horrible it is to live feeling like you can't enjoy God's blessing because something in you is broken. God says that is a judgment on his people. I'm not saying that's a judgment on someone who is barren right now. We can't know that. 
But God says for his people, there is a type of woe where he does not allow them to be blessed with children. No birth, no pregnancy, no conception. He says, even if they have children, I will bereave them. Instead of the joy of a new baby, there is the sorrow of losing your children, and God says that he is pouring out that type of judgment because his people will not listen and obey him. We heard that type of language as Lauren read from the prophet Isaiah in the first chapter. You remember he said some stunning things. Although you multiply your prayers, I will not listen. Can you fathom a God who says, I am no longer going to listen to your prayers? We believe that God always answers prayer. But that's only true if you seek him with a heart that is humble, that first acknowledges your own sinfulness and asks forgiveness. The first prayer that you need to pray in this life is, Father, forgive me because I have sinned and I need that forgiveness. If you ask God's blessing and God's favor without that, your sin will prevent God from blessing you. You have to have the forgiveness of your sins first. And so, when Jesus turns and says, woe to you, to some people in his own day, they would have heard the terrifying, violent warnings of the Old Testament, and they would have done one of two things. They would have either recognized that they were on the wrong side of God's wrath and repented, or they would have been furious because Jesus was telling them that God would judge them the same way God poured out judgment on people all throughout the Old Testament. So there are only two options. And and I believe that we also have the same two options this morning as we look at this text. We need to do one of two things. We need to first see if Jesus' warnings apply to us. And I want to say to you that Jesus would have us do this. He's talking to Pharisees and scribes, but in chapter 12, that we'll look at next week, he turns to his disciples and he says, chapter 12, verse 1, Beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. He says to his followers, Don't be a hypocrite like the Pharisees. Because if you do, the warnings that he gives to them will apply to you. So the first thing we need to do with what I'm about to read is we need to see if it applies directly to us because Jesus applies it to his own followers. Secondly, we need to think if we know people that need this type of dire warning that disaster is coming. So I want to encourage you to follow along with me in your Bible. If you haven't already opened it, turn to Luke chapter 11. I'm going to be reading from verse 37 through 44. And first we're going to talk about the sin of hypocrisy. And I've entitled this this section of my message, Greedy Givers, because it highlights the bizarre contradiction within someone's soul that they would long to have money for themselves, and yet outwardly they like to be thought of as generous, and so they give very publicly. So let's look at how Jesus condemns this sin of hypocrisy. Read verse 37 through 44 with me. It says, While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, and so he went in and reclined at table. 
And the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. Jesus confronts them primarily for their hypocrisy. And notice the final thing that he says is that they're like unmarked graves. That's really important because you would mark a grave in Jesus' day with whitewash so that you could see it clearly. Because if you touched a dead body as a Jewish person, it made you unclean so that you couldn't go into the temple to worship. So you tried very hard to avoid touching dead bodies, and if a dead body were unmarked and you touched it anyway, it meant you were defiled, but you didn't know it. And so you weren't right with God, and you had no ability to pursue cleanliness because you were ignorant of your defilement. And Jesus is saying, Pharisee, your type of rules, your type of religion separates people from God and they don't even know it because they think they're being godly. But they're wrong. He highlights a couple of things in particular and I I call this section greedy givers because he says they were so meticulous about giving even the small little things that they counted as income most people wouldn't even think about it. You know, it's like, like your little herb garden that you hang outside the window so you can have fresh mint for your iced tea. For every ten leaves, they would take one, and they would give it to God. You know, they would translate it to whatever tiny fraction of a penny, and they would make sure that they gave every portion of their income to God. But Jesus said inside, they were greedy. God is not honored by a type of exacting giving that says, this is how much I owe to God. The Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver, someone who has experienced the forgiveness of God, who loves God, and so he gives sacrificially. He's not counting the pennies to figure out exactly how much he needs to give. His heart is overflowing with generosity, so he gives abundantly. He gives joyfully. But Jesus condemned them because they wanted public recognition that they were good and moral, but inside... They were dead. And notice the two things that Jesus says they should have done. Because I think this is one of the ways that we need to hear this passage so clearly. He he says, you ought to have done these things without neglecting justice and the love of God. He doesn't say, you know, don't worry about tithing. God's not concerned about your money. In a way, God is concerned about your money because it shows where your heart is. But just giving doesn't guarantee that you have a right heart. 
Jesus says you ought to be concerned about justice and the love of God. Can you imagine sitting down with Jesus at a meal like Jesus is with? So, so maybe you go out to a restaurant. Maybe you're at Village or downtown here. You're on one side of the table. Jesus is on the other side of the table. Jesus looks at you and says, your problem is you don't actually love God. Would anyone here take that well? Would we say, God, what do I need to do? Would we be humbled by it? Or would we be confused and say, no, I, I, I go to church, I give, I read my Bible, I'm trying to pray. And Jesus would say to you, you know, the, the outside things don't matter unless your heart is right with God. He actually says two things. N- number one, you ought to have done these things. He doesn't say they're wrong to give. They were right to give. They were even right to make sure they included all of their income. The problem is, look at verse 41. He says, give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. So the problem is they gave the stuff that people could see on the outside, but their hearts were not right with God. They needed to give themselves first to God to recognize that he owned them as people. 1 John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In order to be right with God, you need to recognize, first and foremost, your very heart is in sin, and unless he cleanses it, nothing you do is going to make a difference. It doesn't matter if you give. It doesn't matter if you pray. It doesn't matter if you read your your Bible. There are people who are familiar with the Bible who are going to go to hell. The problem is you need your heart renewed and changed and cleansed and forgiven. And that only happens when you confess your sins before God. But the Pharisees were convinced that they weren't sinners. So Jesus pronounced this judgment on them that they would eventually be destroyed because they would not deal with their inward sinfulness. Not only that, their religion itself actually made people unclean and separated them from God. And you see this even more extremely in the next group of people that Jesus talks to. And so if these guys are greedy givers, they they like to do things publicly and give, but secretly they really just love money and they want more of it for themselves. That's just one way of, of diagnosing their hypocrisy. There are others, and Jesus talks about them in other places, The second thing that that I'd like to talk about is murderous worshipers. Murderous worshipers. And that almost sounds unreal, but look at how Jesus talks about them. Verse 45 says, One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And Jesus said, Yes, woe to you lawyers also. For you load people with burdens that are hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers. For they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel 
to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you are hindering those who were entering. And as he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. You can see that their hearts are not receptive to the message of Jesus. They immediately began to plot destruction for Jesus, proving his point. And before you condemn them, has anyone ever pointed out to you your own sinfulness? Has anyone ever confronted you and said, you are wrong here? The easiest thing to do in the world is to dismiss it, deflect it, and deny it. And they had no intention of listening to Jesus or of repenting. Said they immediately wanted to kill him. And the irony is, they built tombs for the prophets that their ancestors killed. You know, we, we read from Isaiah, Jesus is in the same tradition of the prophets, saying harsh things to people who were hardened in sin. And those are the types of things that, that Isaiah said. Those are the types of things that Zechariah said. And the prophets of old, many of them, were not listened to. You think of Jeremiah, that the king has him thrown in jail. You think of Zechariah. Jesus says he perished, he was murdered, because he warned people about God's coming judgment. People didn't want to believe that they were sinners. People didn't want to believe that God would judge their sin. And so they silenced the voice of God. You think about Abel. If you know the story, Cain and Abel, right? You know, Adam and Eve have two kids, Cain and Abel. And it's the very first murder. So after the fall, Abel is a faithful follower of God. He offers sacrifices that are pleasing and acceptable to God. And Cain hates him for it. Because Abel's life said, in order to be right with God, I need to offer these sacrifices. Abel's life said, I'm a sinner. And when God accepted Abel's sacrifice... Cain hated it so much that he murdered his brother. And so Abel's blood testified against his brother that his brother was guilty. And Jesus says, these people were the same way. When Jesus confronted them, you can see in verse 53, they respond the exact same way. Rather than recognizing their sinfulness, they want to silence the voice of God in the person of Jesus. Just a few hundred years after the prophets spoke, they celebrated them. They built tombs to them because the things that they prophesied clearly happened. Isaiah prophesied that Assyria would come and destroy the nation of Israel to the north and later that Babylon would come and destroy Jerusalem. And it happened exactly as he said, so it was undeniable. So they looked at the past and said, man, if I was alive when Isaiah was preaching, I would have listened. So they could think of themselves as being good and righteous. We do the same thing. We think, man, if I was alive when Jesus was on the earth, I wouldn't have wanted him to be killed. The question is, is that really true? Because what God does is he sends prophets and apostles who preach the word of God, 
And so these people that Jesus is talking to are condemned because they would not listen to Jesus and they would not listen to the apostles who later represented them. In fact, they murdered Jesus on a cross and they murdered all of the apostles they could. John is the only apostle that didn't die a violent death and he died in exile on an island. They hated the message of God and today God sends you pastors and teachers And he makes the word of God readily accessible. And the question is, will you listen to it? Or do you reject it as irrelevant to your life? Do you assume that you're good and righteous and say you have no need of it? And I think the two options that I laid out earlier, do these warnings apply to us and other people we know? We need to consider that for just a second. And and I want to talk to two different types of people that I believe are in this room right now this morning. There are types of people that that it's very easy to be like a Pharisee. That you can look great. Maybe you were raised in church. You might be really proud that you know how to give because your parents taught you to give a portion of your money to the work of the church. You might be proud that you know right and wrong. And and in your pride, you might be blind to the suffering of people around you. I'm going to give you a couple examples of what I mean by that. So it's possible to look down on people, like, for example, single moms. You might blame them for their financial struggles, for their struggles in parenting. And you might say, well, there's some sin in her past, and that's why she struggles, and so you don't help her. I believe Jesus would say to you, you're wrong. Yeah, there is sin in all of our past, but that doesn't justify writing somebody off. Or or you might look at someone who is questioning their sexuality or even their gender identity, and, and you might feel like, because you understood that God has made us male and female, that somehow you're better than them. You might look at someone in, in a place of weakness, and you might judge them. Thank God I'm not like that person. And in your pride, you fail to realize that you need grace. Let me say this clearly, because God says it clearly. God hates your pride. He hates it. And if you don't repent, you will face disaster, just like Jesus said the Pharisees would face disaster. There's no value in looking like a Christian, but being dead inside and judging the people around you who don't look as good as you do. The God of the Bible has compassion on all people. It doesn't matter what sins you struggle with. He offers you hope and forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. If you see someone struggling, especially in a way that's so deeply personal and emotional, you need to love them and extend the same grace that you have received. You need to repent of your pride. So that's a word to those of us who can behave like Pharisees. Examine yourself. See if you are one of them. And repent of that pride. Don't assume that because you attend church, because you give, because you do all these things, that you are right with God. Examine your heart. But for some of you, what I just said doesn't really apply. You don't look very much like a Pharisee. And in fact, in our time, in our age, the church has kind of moved past 
external rules. Not completely, but for the most part. And it's not much, you know, we don't care that much about smoking, drinking, dancing. We, we don't argue about music anymore. And, and I think for most things, that's fine. I'm, I'm glad that we're not so judgmental about things that are on the outside. We're not loud about giving. In fact, in this service, we don't even pass a plate because we don't want people to feel pressure. So we're super quiet about it. But the one rule we have, and we're enormously proud of it, is there are no rules in church. We don't pile rules on top of people. We can go to the opposite extreme where we remove the clear commands of God. So to avoid legalism and self-righteousness, we abandon the pursuit of holiness. And God says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That's Hebrews, I'll give you chapter and verse, Hebrews 12, 14. If you major on, you need to pray this prayer and have your sins forgiven and nothing else in your life matters, you're lying. God says, if you are not holy, you will not see him. And he warns Christians, don't act like everyone else around you. Don't act like you can take the grace of Jesus and remain in your sin. That will not work. See, we believe that Jesus died for our sin and rose from the dead. So when we trust that Jesus' blood covers our sins, we begin to walk in new life. We begin to imitate him. We begin to obey his commands, not so that people notice us, but because we love the God who died for us and rose again. So if you're more of the second type of person where you don't do anything with rules, This text says to you, God cares very much about what you do. And I'll point you to the text. He says, give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. So you start with your heart, you give God your heart, and then you live a life that's consistent with it. And he adds, you ought to give and tithe your mint and rue and every herb. Make sure that you do give God your money. Don't neglect justice and the love of God. In other words, both inward and outward things matter. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't don't act like you judge people that have been unfaithful in marriage or have, have committed fornication and are not sexually pure and then go home and look at pornography. That's hypocrisy. But don't justify pornography by saying, you know, everybody does it and God doesn't really care. That's a lie. God wants you to give your heart first and then to walk in holiness. My main concern for us at our church and for our town is that when God's final judgment comes, he will judge us because we've never bothered to pursue holiness. If that's you, this text is a reminder that Jesus says things like, these you ought to have done. In other words, make sure that you are seeking to obey the command of God. So there are really two sins here. There's hypocrisy, which I think we understand pretty well. But the second sin that he condemns in the scribes is there's a sin of rejecting God's word. See, their fathers didn't listen to the prophets. They killed him. They didn't listen to Christ. They killed him. And we, many times, dismiss the word of God by saying it's not really relevant for us. Our parents were so strict. You had to wear a suit to church. 
You had to sing with an organ and, and with a piano. You couldn't go to movies. And so we're so proud that we recognize that was foolish. And we've become so smug that we no longer try to understand what it means to obey God in our own time, in our own day. And, and let me make it real clear. See, there used to be legalism around Sunday. You know, like you couldn't play. You, you couldn't go outside and, and play baseball or, or anything on Sunday. You couldn't go to a restaurant. You couldn't do any kind of work. And that was supposed to make that day sacred. But now, in order to avoid legalism, we say that worshiping God together as a church doesn't even really matter. That if you want to worship God in your own way outside the church, that's okay. And we make the clear command of Scripture irrelevant for people. We hide the Word of God. We can be like what Jesus said. We can take away the key of knowledge so that people don't know what God requires them to do because in an effort to not be legalistic, we avoid the Word of God. The end result even though our motivation is a little different. You see, the scribes in Jesus' day, they, they were the experts. And they said, you want to understand the, the word of God, you have to know all this history of tradition. And so they, they said that common people couldn't even really understand it. Honestly, a lot of us, even though we're not scribes, feel the same way. How many of you would feel like, I can't understand the word of God? Well, did you know that God promises to help you if you read it? Uh, I'll give you one, one reference. In Ephesians, Paul is writing to the whole church. And he says to them, you will understand the mystery of Christ when you read what I have written. He just wants them to read. And I believe that's part of what God wants you to do too. If you believe that the Bible is inaccessible, you'll never know what God wants you to do. The book of Ecclesiastes says that one thing matters, that you seek God while you are young, before evil days come upon you. The Bible says evil days are coming. The question is, have you sought God before they arrive? Sometimes someone will say, you know, that they're busy with a career, and they're busy with kids, and, and sports demands kind of a year-round allegiance, and, and so we'll just nod and say, yeah, that's the season of life you're in. Don't, don't worry about being involved in church right now. And we feel confident that what we're doing is right because we've rejected those old rules that said you had to be in church every Sunday. But the reality is, we've cut people off from the Word of God and said, it doesn't matter if you attend, but it does matter. Not as an outward way of, of gaining God's favor, but because you need the Word of God in order to live and thrive and grow. Do you know what we do when we do that? We, we are looking good to the people around us, saying, yeah, he's real involved in sports, and he's real involved in his community, but inside, we're failing to seek God. We aren't doing anyone any favors when we pretend like it's okay to skip church just so we don't fall into a trap of legalism. There is never a season of life when you can safely ignore the word of God. Ever. It doesn't matter how young or old you are. Jesus plainly says, you need to enter the kingdom of God. You are outside of it until you trust in the mercy and grace of God given to you in Christ. If you ignore the word of God, you'll never know that you need to enter it. So if the busyness of life keeps you from hearing and obeying, your life needs to change. 
Don't be proud that you break all the old rules while inside you are no closer to God. You're still a hypocrite. You just look a little bit different. You're a more casual hypocrite instead of being a hypocrite in a suit and tie. And that's no better. Jesus said the key to knowledge was taken away from the people. He was talking about the scriptures. They made it impossible to understand by teaching that only experts could understand it, but we make it impossible to understand because we act like, I can't possibly know what that means. But God has promised that he will give us understanding when we seek him. So don't teach other people that you can't know what this means. You can. And don't assume for yourself that you can't know what this means. You can. You may prevent people from entering the kingdom because you act like reading the Bible and praying and attending church don't matter. And if your kids and your grandkids never learn that they must love God, which Jesus clearly commands, and you never tell them that they are in danger, then you will be part of the reason that they will be condemned. God sent prophets and apostles who proved that this generation would not listen any more than their fathers listened to the prophets that they revered. And God sends us pastors and teachers so that we hear the word of God. The question is, how do you respond? Do you believe this word of God in its warnings? Will you humble yourself and repent? Or will you congratulate yourself that you're smarter than all this and don't really need it, and dismiss both the message and the messenger. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, this is a heavy text. But we believe that you have given it to us for our good and that we need this too. And so I ask that you would take it, bury it deep in our hearts. Let us hear it. Lead us in the kind of repentance that leads to life and joy and blessing. And I ask for this help in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So I want to leave you with a passage. I I quoted Hebrews 12 a little bit earlier in this message. And I want to leave you with a passage from Hebrews 12. The writer says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You receive that kingdom through faith in Christ, and it cannot be taken away from you. And thus, because of that, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. I want to encourage you as you leave today, if you need to spend some time in prayer, there's no need to rush away. I want to encourage you, if you need to repent, to do that. And then as you leave, be faithful in worshiping our God. He is awesome and he is worthy of it. May you go in peace to love and serve the Lord.